Here we are on a Thursday morning in this month of November to spend some time together. This is Roadmap to Heaven on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, and the morning is upon us. So let's get to the work of prayer this morning. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. A prayer for the souls in purgatory. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May their souls and the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to be with you on this Thursday morning. It's good to be with you every day. I know I say that a lot, but really, this is my favorite part of the day, is the hour that we get to spend together. We are continuing our talk about vocations this week. You know, next week is National Vocations Awareness Week. And so this week, we're focusing on, well, what are vocations? So that next week, we can be ready to spread awareness. You know, some people might be learning about vocations next week. This week, we're getting ahead of the game so that next week, we can promote vocations in our parishes and in our local communities. And we've got some really great stuff on tap today. We've got Father Brian Alford from the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois talking about the importance of formation. And then we also have with us today uh, Tom Kissel from Parents of Vocations. Uh, Interesting story on how Tom came to be with us. Hopefully we'll get to that when we speak with Tom later on. And then, uh, of course, the fabulous catechism, the daily dose of encouragement, and more for you today. Before we go to the weather, I do want to share with you, you may have seen this story in the news, uh, that there was a priest in Ireland who made some remarks about sin and has caused to stir among the people, saying, Father, how could you say that? That's not charitable. But I want to just share a, a couple of quotes from the homily that he gave because I think they're very relevant for you and for I. And so God is telling you and me today, you have a responsibility to seek out those who are lost. You have a responsibility to call people to an awareness of the fact that sin is destructive, sin is detrimental, and sin will lead us to hell. Um, He said that, uh, you know, God calls the sinners, but if we don't admit that we're sinners, then we're not listening to God's call. And it's a two-way street. Not, you know, God's not going to just overwhelm us with his mercy without our permission. I love that quote from St. Augustine. God who willed to make you without you does not will to save you without you. So we have to admit that we're sinners. And he said, now there are people who you see who won't like to hear what I'm saying, but the day you die, you will find out. And this month we pray for the souls who have died. And it's a reminder for us that we are mortal, that one day we too will die and we will have our judgment. And, um, you know, this is the teaching of the church. It's the teaching of the church that God wants us to have life to the fullest, but we have to repent from sin. And I think, you know, as I look around the world, uh, just in my my circles that I, I have in my neighborhood and 
whatnot. There are so many I know, sadly, who don't see a need to go to confession, who don't see a need for any repentance because, you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a sinful person. I mean, there's some really bad people in the world, Adam, and are you telling me that I'm one of them? And well, you know, I'm not here to judge you or someone else, but I'm here to tell you this. I know I'm one of them. I'm a sinful person. I sin. I, I would be lost without the sacrament of reconciliation. That is for sure. That is what I will tell you 100% for sure. And I pray every day for the grace of conversion that I might step away from sin and step into the light and the love of our Lord. Speaking of the light, the sun hasn't come up yet, and I'm curious what's going to happen when the sun does come up today, what we have in store for us. Let's turn now to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Martin de Porres. Born in Peru in the late 16th century, he was also born into poverty, the illegitimate son of a Spanish nobleman and Anna Velasquez, a freed slave. His father abandoned them both, leaving Anna alone to raise Martin and his sister. When he was 12, Martin became an apprentice to a surgeon who was also a barber, not an uncommon combination in those days. As a result, he learned to care for the sick. In the process, he also began to pray for them, leading Martin into a deep relationship with the Lord at a very young age. He felt called to the priesthood, but there were laws at the time preventing descendants of slaves from joining religious orders and taking vows. In his humility, Martin asked to be allowed to join the Dominican Priory as a lay helper. For the next eight years, he cut hair, scrubbed floors, and attended to the needs of everyone in the community, greatly impressing the prior Father Juan de Lorenzana. When Martin asked the prior to allow him to become a professed brother, he said yes, but not all agreed. Other Dominicans treated him severely, calling him names, taunting him, even disrupting his sleep. Still, Martin persisted in his care for them with humility and love. At one point, when the priory fell into financial trouble, Martin offered himself for sale as a slave. He was at least spared that cruelty. In his mid-30s, Martin was put in charge of the infirmary. Over time, many of his fellow Dominicans began to seek his spiritual direction, and one of those was St. Rose of Lima. Martin was asked to help support the Priory by raising money. Proving he had a great gift for fundraising, he not only helped the Priory, but brought in thousands of dollars for poor girls who had no dowries and wanted to marry or enter the convent. He died on this day in 1639. St. Martin de Porres, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. I find myself sharing with more and more people lately that at some point in my life, I got this impression, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, that the Christian life is just a joyful one all of the time. All you have to do is smile, go to Mass, and be a good person, and you'll be fine. And at some point, I realized that being a Christian is difficult at times. It's downright hard living some of the teachings of the church, and yet that's why death to self is so important because if it were easy, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We wouldn't need to die to self, would we? But that's, that's a large part of it. 
It makes me sad that due to licensing, you don't get to hear the lovely song we usually play before the catechist. So do yourself a favor and at some point go look up a, a tune called A Swingin' Safari by Bert Kampfert and his orchestra. It's just a catchy tune, and every time we play it to introduce the catechist, I just can't get enough and I want to play more of it. Speaking of the catechist, here is our catechist question for the day. On what date do we celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception? On what date do we celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception? Adam, come on, you're throwing softballs over the plate. Are you, you know, are we having batting practice here on the Catechism? Well, yeah, we are actually. Many of you know that the Immaculate Conception is a solemnity we celebrate on December 8th. In fact, that's coming up pretty, not too far away here, right? So what's this have to do with anything? Why are we having such an easy, easy catechist question today on something that we all know? Well, you know, I just throw that out there because if you were looking to do your Marian consecration, the St. Louis de Montfort total consecration to Mary, and uh, you want to use Our Lady's Feast Day, which is by the way, the patronal feast of the United States of America, as well as for our friends listening in the Diocese of Springfield right now, uh, the patronal feast of the Diocese of Springfield and also of the Cathedral of Springfield, you need to be ready to start your consecration on Saturday. So you need to find everything between now and Saturday. Here's the good news. If you do a pretty uh, cursory Internet search, you can find PDFs of St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary with Preparation for Total Consecration. I highly Highly recommend it. Um, it was a game changer for me. I, I am still so grateful that Dan Vonderhaar and I went through that together last year. And I've been thinking uh, I need to renew my consecration, so I'm probably going to start on Saturday as well and just go through those 33 days again. It's a pilgrimage. It's a journey. There's some work associated with it. It's not overwhelming. And there's some great reading that you go through in those 33 days. So cannot recommend it enough. It is absolutely wonderful. Speaking of the diocese in Springfield in Illinois, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Father Brian Alford, who is the vocations director for the Diocese of Springfield. And we're going to be talking about formation. We talked about the call on Monday. We talked about discernment yesterday. Today, we're going to talk about formation for our vocation. So that's up ahead. And then Tom Kissel from Parents of Vocations will be with us after that for Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Stay tuned. There's more Roadmap to Heaven after this. Prayer in a Time of Waiting All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. All week long, we are talking about vocations, and today we're happy to be talking with Father Brian Alford, who wears many hats in the Diocese of Springfield, one of which is vocations director. And Father, it's always a treat to have you with us on the show. Sadly, I don't think we're going to have any harmonica time today, and I left mine at home. But we are going to talk about vocations, specifically about formation. So I'd like to start here. You know, earlier this week, we've been talking about the call that we receive, and then discerning that call to make sure that that's actually what we are called to. 
say we figure all of that out, that doesn't mean we just dive in and say, okay, oh, well, we've discerned that we are called to marriage, so let's just go see Father tomorrow if the date works for you, what works for me. Or, you know, you may have said, I've discerned that I'm called to be a priest, but you don't just go to the bishop and say, I've discerned it, go ahead and ordain me right now, right here on the spot. There is a period of formation we have to go through pretty much for every vocation. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, with a vocation, uh, it's a call that obviously comes from God. And and what you're referring to is a a person's discernment that says, you know, I I believe that God may be calling me to this, but that call always comes through the context of the church. And so the church has uh, that important role to play in helping to discern the validity of that call, but also in addition to discerning the, the validity of the call, is making sure that person is prepared to respond and to live out that call. And so this whole process of formation is the church's work of of being a good steward of the call that that person has received so that they can put into effect and, and live out what it is the Lord's calling them to after having received what the church deems is necessary, the necessary qualities, the necessary skills, the necessary relationship with the, with the Lord and, and with the church so as to be an effective minister because that person is called, especially in, in the case of, you know, a vocation like the priesthood or diaconate or religious life, that they can be working on behalf of the church. And so the church has, you know, just an important role to play in making sure that that person is hearing the call and that it's confirmed and that they are prepared then to live out that call. So, Father, I think of the trades, and, you know, an electrician, we wouldn't just give them the tools and say, have at the breaker box. We'd give them some training because if, well, you just threw them into the breaker box, some bad things could happen either to them or to the facility, and it could get catastrophic pretty quickly. And we think of that with carpenters and doctors and lawyers and plumbers and all sorts of professions. We have to get you trained before you go into it. And I think, as you just said, The seminary for the priesthood, that's something very natural we all think about, or the novitiate for religious life. It makes sense to form our priests and our deacons and our religious brothers and sisters. But let's talk about marriage specifically for a moment, because I remember when we got married, we were very much in love, Beth and I. uh, I proposed. She said yes. We started planning out the big day. But where we needed to be especially careful was learning what it means to be married and actually how to be married, because neither of us had been married before. And as we quickly learned in the first few years, oh, this could be difficult at times. So what does the church say in terms of preparation for marriage and formation for marriage? What are we asked to do and how does that factor into the vocation of marriage? Sure. Yeah. uh, An important thing to recognize is how the church sees, there's a parallel here with the sacrament of of matrimony and also the sacrament of holy orders. Both of these are clumped together in the catechism as sacraments at the service of communion. And it speaks about how these uh, two sacraments are ordered towards the salvation of somebody else. And I think that's the key behind the church's insistence upon proper formation for both priesthood, but also for marriage. Uh, whenever a couple enters into that covenant of, of holy matrimony, they are working towards uh, the salvation of the other person. And, and there's nothing more important than salvation. And so that's a key area of, of focus because before marriage, I mean, we're sort of going on in our own sort of our own lane and kind of concerned certainly about our own salvation. But to have that mindset shift of saying, okay, this is no longer just about me. 
but I am on task for helping another person get to heaven and, and by extension also any children that maybe we're blessed with. And so the church, because of the importance of salvation, wants to make sure that those who are entering into those sacraments receive the proper formation so that they can have the very best possibility so that whenever they receive that sacrament, they're able to live it in such a way that they can really be effective in helping the other person to grow in holiness, to grow in virtue, all with the end of their one day being into heaven and knowing that it's through the assistance of their spouse that they are able to uh, achieve that, uh, that blessing that the Lord has in store for us. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful reminder for us of what it's all about. And as much as we enjoy the flowers and the music and the dancing and the cake and all of those great things that come with it, that, that all is secondary to the role of spending a lifetime together working for the salvation of the other. I think, Father, the, the last question we have today is where do we start maybe? You know, perhaps, you know, again, it's easy to think of a vocation like the priesthood, or married life, or the religious life. But what about our listeners who right now their vocation is the single life, or perhaps they're now a widow or a widower? I would imagine that even in that, we can form ourselves as well to live out that vocation, and the church probably has something to say on the matter. Yeah, definitely. And this is a great gift from the the Second Vatican Council, which really highlighted the universal call to holiness. Every one of us, no matter what our state in life is, whether we're committed in holy orders or matrimony or outside of one of those vocations, the Lord is and the church is calling all of us to to live holiness. And it's that holiness is that that's not just about, okay, I'm preparing myself to, you know, grow my relationship with the Lord, just so foundational, but a holiness, and I think this is a, a, some great insight from Pope Francis, is, is never just inward turning, but rather it's always outward as well. So Pope Francis speaks about the necessity for us to become missionary disciples, that whatever our state in life is, because of the, the, the baptism that we have received, we have been called to uh, proclaim the gospel, we're, we're called to share the good news by word and example. That's a formation that all of us are undergoing. What does it mean to understand our faith in such a way that we can pass it on to others, either explicitly through you know the words that we're using, the opportunities that we have, or by the, the charitable works that we do? I think every Catholic should have this real sense of awareness that, that we have a role in the body of Christ. And that role is not replaceable. It's not something that we can just say, well, I don't need you. St. Paul speaks about that in his writings about the church, that, you know, one part of the body can't say to the other, I don't need you or I'm not important. Every one of us, no matter who we are, has a role to play in the building up of the church, sometimes in more visible and public ways, sometimes in very hidden ways through prayer and sacrifice and ways that, again, can benefit the church in ways that we may never know this side of heaven. So, yeah, every one of us, I think, uh, just begins with that understanding that I have a role to play. I am important to the church. It's not just about priests and religious and deacons. Every one of us is important. And to the extent that we understand that, that inspires us and and, and motivates us to use the gifts that God has given to us, whatever our state in life, and to invest ourselves to continue to grow, because it's not just about our salvation, but it's about the building up of the kingdom and the salvation as many souls as possible. 
Well, there you have it. And, you know, a little shameless plug here for Catholic Radio. This is a great place to get formation every day, no matter what your vocation in life is. There's just so much great, solid content. But perhaps your parish has a catechism series coming up or a scripture study or any of these wonderful things. Or at the diocesan level, there may be a men's conference or a women's conference or a marriage conference, whatever it may be. These are great opportunities to receive formation for our vocations. Father Alfred, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today as we continue this National Vocations Week. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to lead us in a prayer for vocations and those who are in formation as we conclude today. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, grateful for the call that you have given to each and every one of us to be your beloved sons and daughters. And it's living out of that identity as your beloved children that we feel desire to share the gifts you have given to us for the good of the church in whatever vocation you call us to. Lord, we ask that you would bless all of those who are hearing these words today, that they may be renewed in whatever the Lord has already called them to, or if they are still discerning what that is, that they may be open to the many good that God has in store for them, and that they can trust that with God's grace, he will give them all that they need to fulfill their vocation for the building up of the kingdom as he directs us all towards the salvation of our souls. We ask God to bless all of those who are in aware, uh, who are working towards forming vocations and all of those who are responding. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Brian Alford is the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. Father, where can our listeners in the diocese go for more information on vocations in your diocese? Our diocesan website is uh, very simply dio.org, so it's kind of easy to remember. It's like diocese, but dio.org, and then vocations is, is the page, so dio.org slash vocations, and it's easy to find also from the homepage as well. We're working on sort of updating that page to provide more information about the discernment process, not just for priesthood, but also for other vocations as well. So we're excited about all that's going on with promoting vocations here in our diocese. Wonderful. And for those listening outside of the Diocese of Springfield this morning, check your diocesan homepage. I've been to all of them, and they all have vocations right there. Very easy to find. And if you think you might have a vocation to the priesthood or religious life, don't hesitate to contact your vocations director. It's not like Army recruiting where they sign you up on the dotted line and then they've got you. It's really a process of accompaniment and discernment and formation if it gets to that point of entrance into that formation program, whether that's seminary or novitiate or whatnot. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Prayer before a crucifix. Good and sweetest Jesus, before thy face I humbly kneel, and with the greatest fervor of spirit I pray and beseech thee to fix deep in my heart lively sentiments of faith, hope, and charity, true sorrow for my sins, and a firm purpose of amendment, while I consider thy five most precious wounds, having before my eyes the words of David the prophet concerning thee, my Jesus. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. We've been talking this week about vocations, and a lot of our conversations have been geared towards those who are still discerning their vocation. Some of us listening, or or speaking for that matter on the show, have already discerned our vocation. I am married. I have children. I know that right now I am not called to be a priest. I'm called to be a husband and a father. But what happens if someday when my kids grow up, one of them comes to me and says, Dad, 
I think I'm called to be a priest. If our son says that and applies to seminary and gets accepted, or if one of our four daughters says, Dad, I think I'm called to the religious life, and I've applied to join this community, and they've accepted me, and I'm going to go in on this date. Are we ready for that? How are we going to react? What do we do? Well, I imagine those are not unique questions for any parent of someone who has a religious vocation. And we're happy to have with us on the show today Tom Kissel, who asked some of those very questions when his daughter, now Sister Gemma, with the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George in Alton, Illinois, entered religious life. Tom, it's good to have you with us today. Oh, well, thanks, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, just to put this in perspective for our listeners, you and I were talking before the interview. You're from Edgewood, Kentucky, which is just across the Kentucky River from Cincinnati, Ohio, about six hours and change away from the Franciscan Sisters' mother house in Alton, Illinois. That's correct. That's correct. Right. Although it is the Ohio River and not oh. the Kentucky and yeah. my apologies. <laughs> so if there are if there are Ohio listeners, we don't want to get them offended at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is roadmap to heaven, not roadmap to geography of the United there States of America. So anyway, Tom, you you have a website and a ministry you've put together called Parents of Vocations, and right off the bat, the, the website's very easy: parentsofvocations.com. And this all stems from your experience of your daughter entering the religious life. So tell us a little bit about that story. How old was she when she came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I think I'm called to the convent, and this is what's going to happen next? Her name at that time was Lauren. Her name now is Sister Mary Gemma. And she came to us in that kind of formation discernment process. She was a sophomore in college in attendance of Marion University in Indianapolis and came home on break and mentioned that, she had been on a discernment retreat with the martyrs in Alton and felt like that there was some unfinished business and she needed to go back and explore that further. So, of course, as parents, the first thing, you know, you want to introduce to your child as a sophomore in college is, are you sure you don't want to finish college first? I mean, let's we're all for this, but let's be a little practical about it also. In the end, that's not what God had in mind. I don't know how practical he is. It's about following his heart and following his will. And, and so our daughter actually entered with the Sisters of St. Francis, the Martyr St. George, at 20 years of age. Wow. So already a lot of questions there. Are you sure you don't want to finish college yet? Are you sure this is the timeline you want to be on? And I imagine that in between that decision of applying and being accepted and then entering later that summer, there were a lot of realizations that came to the forefront of your mind. I mean, I'm thinking right away, what, what does that mean for birthdays? What does that mean for family vacation? You know, because before I got married, my parents said, we're going to take a family trip. Before my older brother got married, he was the first of us to get married. My parents said, we're taking one last trip, all five of us, just us, no one else. It was actually the last time we did anything like that was in 2006. What were those questions for you? What were those realizations? Adam, to be truthful, I mean, some of those were the questions that we asked. You know, it was about those family functions. The, you know, and a lot of it does center around the family dynamics. You realize that the structure of your family is going to change. And we're a relatively small family. Um, Sister Gemma has one brother, so it was just the four of us. And so that really changes the dynamics of a family if, you know, one key element of that, and, and really regardless of the size of the family, you know, every child is treasured. And when that relationship changes, 
changes by degree of separation of physical location, or especially when a child enters religious life, there's also some guidelines and rules as far as how that particular community allows communication with your child, which predominantly a lot of ours is by writing letters, which is also a lost art that we haven't done in a while. You know, so those kind of things do creep into those kind of the grappling process of, of, you know, what's life going to look like on the other side of this? You are not the first person to ask these questions, but you are the first person that I've been speaking with that decided to do something about this to open up to other parents out there. And you started this website, Parents of Vocations. How did that come to be? What prompted you to move from the person asking questions to the person saying, yeah, I've been right where you're at asking those same questions to other parents? Well, I think, you know, to be completely honest, I think it was the fact that, you know, when my daughter entered, I had all those questions and and many more and sought answers via the internet or other sources and just really could not find a like experience. I mean, if you look at the Catholic Church in America, we're probably two to three generations from families that have aunts and uncles who have the experience of a child entering religious life where, you know, if you go back to the 50s and 60s, it was a relatively common experience. But in my own family, you got to go back almost 100 years to the last vocation. So there's not that familial experience anymore. After solving some of these issues by trial and error, as my wife and I you know, began this journey with our daughter, I really felt it placed on my heart to do something about it and become a resource for other parents that are you know, grappling with some of these questions and looking for ideas and solutions to um, you know, being a helpful support mechanism in their child's vocation. One of the things I imagine you encounter is a frequent question. What was hard for you? What was difficult for you? I know before the interview, we mentioned we were talking about that timeline that your daughter was accepted in February and entered in the summer. So by the time you had your last Christmas together as a family, it had already passed. You didn't know at the time that was going to be your last Christmas together gathered in the home as a family. What were some of those challenges? Adam, you, I mean, you certainly, uh, you know, touched the heart with that one because it, it is true that, you know, you, you know, so many of those, and especially the major holidays are even families that don't spend a lot of time together because of a myriad of reasons seem to always come together at the holidays. Well, you know, that's really changed for us because we do not see our daughter during the, the, the major holidays. With her particular community, we visit one weekend in the spring, one in the fall, and every other year we have a, um, she gets a home visit and gets to come home. So certainly separation and physical proximity is a big piece of that. Really communication in any sense, whether it's physical or verbal with phone or or something like that. Those are the things, at least with my daughter's community, that changes significant. What you grow into, I think, as a parent-child relationship is finding other ways to make connections and to stay in touch and grow in depth and beauty of the relationship in other ways. Without question, separation and not being a part of the family on a regular basis is probably the biggest challenge. I know for my wife and I, we grew up in St. Louis. We still live in St. Louis. Her parents, I like to joke around, it's almost everybody loves Raymond. They're not quite across the street, but they're only five (laughs) blocks away. And my parents are only 30 minutes away. It's a quick phone call, and those are all things that 
you no longer have with your daughter. And, you know, sometimes we might dwell on all of the sacrifices you make, but I know in speaking with several friends who are in religious life, there are also a lot of joys that you gain. And uh, one of my friends who's in religious life said, you know, in some ways my mom and dad, they lost a daughter, but they gained 40 more. Funny you should say that because I'm a brother of three sisters, and I've often said that a brother can have too many sisters, but a father can never have too many daughters. And that is absolutely the case. You know, we came to you know this interview via one of the sisters in my daughter's community, and, and, and certainly I regard Sister Carolyn in that fold of additional daughters that I've gained in this process. I think the individuals that whether you've got a child in a religious community or not, you know, there are so many people that have such beautiful relationships with religious communities. But when you have a child that is a part of that religious community, it becomes your extended family. You know, I think as a father, the you know, the first time you held a daughter in, in the hospital room, you know, your mind you know, immediately jumps forward 20 years and you start to think about, ooh, I'm going to have to give this little girl up someday. Well, I think over those 20 years, you form that mental image, you know, that picture of what life is going to look like, and you formulate those things over 20 years. And then you come to realize when a daughter enters religious life that what you thought was going to happen still happens. It just looks completely different than you thought. But with that becomes a much bigger extended family that you join in celebration in other ways and, you know, and really is just a very powerful and joyful connection that grows from that point. Well, Tom, we could go on and on. Sadly, we're running short on time here, so I want to get to a few things. First and foremost, if you're listening right now and you've got a son or daughter discerning religious life, you're not alone in asking the questions that you are probably asking yourself. So the website that Tom's put together parentsofvocations.com. It's a great resource. There's reflections on there. There's a video you can watch. Uh, You can meet some of the other parents. But then most importantly, you can get in touch with Tom, and there are some resources available privately to those parents of vocations to connect with one another and not a very public forum, but in a private forum to be asking those questions and sharing those answers. So that's, uh, I think, the takeaway, Tom, right, isn't it? That you're not alone in having those questions if you've got a child entering. So connect with other parents. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's something that we could have benefited from and, and we have um, you know, been a resource to other parents with daughters entering more specifically my daughter's community, but others as well. And as Adam said, there are quite a few different links. I think there's one on almost, if not every page of the website to join the Facebook group. There are a couple of inclusion questions so that you need to ask those questions so that I can admit you to the group. Once you're in the group, it's a closed community so that you're free completely free to ask any question you want and, and you know, have other parents potentially reach out and, and, and share with you. All right. Well, Tom, it's been a joy to speak with you on Roadmap to Heaven today. We will continue to pray, not just for your daughter, Sister uh, Gemma, but for all of your daughters over at the Franciscan Sisters in Alton and for all those who have religious vocations in the world. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this break. Prayer for vocations. God, our Father, who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of your truth, we beg you to send laborers into your harvest and grant them grace to speak your word with all boldness so that your word may spread and be glorified and all nations may know you, the only God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of the Americas, 
and Mary, mother of the Franciscan missionaries of the eternal word, pray for us. Once again, we've come to another Thursday, and it's a good time to stop for a daily dose of encouragement. This week, Patty Schneier is sharing tips with us on making a good confession. Patty, what's your insight for us today? Well, today, again, comes from In Conversation with God. This is what I read every day. This is from book two, page 46. And in this meditation, there is a quote from St. Jose Maria Escriva, who used to advise that confession— should be concise, concrete, clear, and complete. Four words that begin with the letter C. So we're going to unpack two of those today. Concise. A good confession should actually be concise. This is St. Jose Maria Escriva who said this. He said that the use of too many words frequently denotes a desire, whether we're conscious of it or not, to flee from direct and full sincerity. So he advised confession with few words, basically just the words that are needed to say humbly what we've done or failed to do without any unnecessary elaboration or adornment. Boy, that really gets to me because, of course, I'm a wordy person. I talk too much. I talk too long. I say too much all the time. This reminds me, okay, it's supposed to be concise. Get to the point, Patty. Get to the point. I have to say that to myself. He also said confession should be concrete without digression, without generalities. You have to name the specific circumstances, how frequently the sin occurred. Be specific, be concrete. So those two words are really important for me when I'm preparing to go into confession. My confession should be concise, get to the point, and concrete. That's a very good reminder for us and one that I have to remind myself as I look back and see a long line for confessions and praise God for those long lines for confessions, but a good reminder to be concise and not just out of courtesy, but out of humility. So, Patty, this is a wonderful encouragement you've brought us today. We are in the octave of all souls uh, for the next few days here. And I'd like to remind you that there is a plenary indulgence available each day between November 1st and November 8th for visiting a cemetery. And when you visit, you are to uh, pray the eternal rest prayer that we began the show with. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. As well as praying an Our Father and a Hail Mary for the... uh, intentions of the Holy Father. As um, There's some other things here. I'm going to look them up and get them for you. You might have to do a, a cursory internet search because I'm not going to have time to go through all of them here before the uh, clock strikes 57 minutes after the hour. That said, one of the things that always comes up when we talk about indulgences is that attachment to sin. And two points I really want to highlight. This is why I bring this up. Uh, There's a difference between being a sinner and being attached to sin. There's a difference between saying, boy, I really hope I go out and commit some venial sins today because detachment from sin means all sin for the condition of indulgence. But I've been reading several priests that turn to several solid sources over the last couple hundred years talking about there is a big difference between desiring to commit venial sins and actually committing venial sins. Because as you and I know, we're going to commit venial sins. We're we're not able to do it without God's grace and, and we fall back into sin. That said, 
you know, maybe you're saying, well, I don't know if I'm completely detached, so I won't get the plenary indulgence. I'll only get a partial indulgence. Now, this is the analogy that uh, came to mind after reading the reflections of some of these priests. Think of every time as a parent um, or as a child, you go through the drive-thru and you get the order of fries with the meal, and either you as the parent or your parents did this to you, they take three or four fries out. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have a full serving of fries. You're, you're light a couple of fries, but you still have your partial serving of fries could still be a lot of fries of what was available. So don't look down on partial indulgences. You know, is a plenary indulgence what I'm aiming for? You you better believe it. But I'm not going to snub my nose at a partial indulgence because it still is effective. And what a great work. They used to call it a heroic work of charity to uh, pray, to offer your indulgence for a soul in purgatory. And to do that, you have to intend to offer that indulgence for the soul in purgatory. And that could be as simple as saying, Lord, I'm making this intention for a soul in purgatory. There's a lot more to it. Uh, sadly, we're out of time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Queen of all saints, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, you have to be in a state of grace because the life of grace is killed by mortal sin and our good works cannot gain supernatural merit for ourselves, says Father Tim Finnegan, and he's backed up by the saints in the catechism on that. So make sure you make a good confession as part of your indulgence. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven today. Pray your rosary today.